Welcome back to Off the Cuff, Evacor Healthcare's podcast. I'm your host, Emily Coe. Today we have Evacor's Advanced Analytics and Research and Development team um, here to talk about what they do and some of their latest research. We have Neha Gangal, James Sidney, and Tim Delier. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Neha Gangal. I have background in pharmacy and PhD in health economics. And I have been with Evicor for over two years now. That's incredible. A PhD in economics, huh? Health economics, yeah. Health economics, yeah. That's incredible. Great. Uh, James, how about you? Uh, I'm James Sidney. I'm a senior manager with the Advanced Analytics team. Uh, my background's also in economics. And I've been with the company, I think, coming up on six years now. Great. And resident uh, progressive jazz pianist, I hear. Or you know, maybe not today, but um, we'll save it for another podcast. <laughs> Great. Hi, Tim. How about you? Hi. Uh, my name is Tim Delier. I have been at Evacor for eight years. Um, I have a background in epidemiology and public health um, at the master's level. I have been, um, you know, I'm leader of the advanced analytics R&D team. Um, those are, that's music to my ears, epidemiology and public health, because that's my background as well. So um, would somebody like to explain to um, our listeners, what does the advanced analytics and research um, and development team do at Evacor? Tim, would you like to take that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our team is part of Evacor's broader enterprise analytics team. Um, our charter is really broad. Um, and the goal is to be able to lead collaborative projects that aren't specifically tied to production analytics. So ideally, we aren't necessarily coloring outside the lines, but rather identifying where the lines should be drawn. Um, our footprint extends across all the current and potential Evacor managed programs. Um, we do opportunity analyses to identify potential areas to create or improve programs. We do methodological development and sort of hardening for improvements that we've identified and we want to integrate into our production processes. Um, we also do advanced models to elucidate and predict outcomes to help tune processes in the utilization management process. And then also um, we develop you know, more complex or more rigorous research topics like the paper that we're gonna talk about later today um, and those are the goal is to to be able to share with the broader enterprise and advance the knowledge of medical management community at large. Our team works very closely with the subject matter experts, so primarily clinical and business leaders within the Evacor programs. It's essentially a hub and spoke design where the core of the group is focused on cohesive and tested methodologies, and the spokes are embedded within the program specific paradigms. So for example, radiology as a program is primarily focused on, on, on reducing unnecessary procedures and moving necessary procedures to a more cost-effective setting. For medical oncology, on the other hand, the primary focus is on ensuring the patient receives the most appropriate medication regimen the first time. So there's very few denials in medical oncology, so the value statements are different, and then the methods that we use to, you know, to develop analytic packages are kind of customized to the way that the programs are designed to operate. That's great. Have you all done any uh, research that looks at unnecessary imaging and, um, and its impact on healthcare costs, at least within Evacor's population? 
Well, I mean, the paper that we're going to talk about today is kind of like that for um, musculoskeletal to look at, you know, patients who initiate um, or have new low back pain complaints um, and try to avoid the, you know, their first, the first um, area that they seek treatment in um, to be advanced imaging. How is your work allocated? So, do you all have similar roles um, just working on different projects or James, is there a particular area that you have expertise in um, when you're working on a research project and then you hand it over to Neha and vice versa? How does that work with your team? And with our team, you know, a lot of the, the core source of our projects and figuring out how we handle things is really based on our relationships with the different uh, leaders within Evacor. You know, working directly with the MSK team or working with the post-acute care team. Uh, we build up a relationship with them so that we best understand how we can leverage our analytics, our methodological knowledge and expertise to best uh, fit into their program. I think the last thing that we want is for us to come in and build like something, a really cool predictive model or some nuanced technology that has zero use or utility right. in, a, in a program. Right, so, yeah. You know, uh, you know, working closely with the MSK team, understanding how their program operates, where there's needs, you know, they'll come to us with needs of what can you guys do to help us in X, Y, and Z. And we put our uh, knowledge and expertise in like, well, we could build you something like this, or we can help out here. And that's really where projects like this back pain paper come from it, this collaboration of the needs of the team versus um, what we're capable of building and researching. So you're not working in a silo. You are definitely we, integrated into the everyday workings of Evacor um, to determine we, your projects. Exactly. We try to we try to avoid the silo as much as possible. Uh, it's it's good for us so that we understand the nuance of how a program operates. Because again, like we, we don't want to build a, a big shiny thing that has no utility whatsoever. Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's great having that relationship and, you know, working through these projects and especially to have context for what we're building as well. Uh, it helps give us a lot of guidance so that we know, we know where North is with it. Cause it's very easy when you're in the weeds and, you know, we're all very passionate about statistics, economics, and analytics that we could very quickly get into the weeds and lose sight of yeah. what we're actually trying to accomplish here. Yes. So uh, Neha, I'm interested, um, and the listeners probably are as well, um, what is a day like at Evacor for someone with a PhD in health economics? Do you, are you running statistics all day, um, analyzing data? Yeah, so it, it's kind of a good mix of both. So I'm part of the predictive modeling team and have been working mostly on MSK products, but also had uh, some leeways into PAC and cardio. So it's been good two years working with huge data sets. That's something extremely new for a not really new, but exciting for a PhD student, like who have yes. been a PhD student, because with the HIPAA guidelines and stuff like that, it's extremely hard to uh, get huge patient data sets for any of these school projects. So that's definitely interesting. And predictive modeling part is obviously my, like the most favorite part of my job. 
Um, so that's that's the big part as well of my uh, day-to-day work. That's great. That's so exciting. Yeah, I totally understand the big data sets, how valuable that is as a researcher. Yeah. Very cool. Do you also um, submit for peer-reviewed journal journals as well? We do. Um, it, you know, like historically, we have not been as focused on that just because there's a lot of effort and, you know, spe- special skills that are associated with those. Um, but right now, there's a couple papers that we're working on within oncology. So, um, and actually, Neha is helping us build out the um, radiation therapy hypofractionation paper um, where we're kind of helping to um, guide providers towards uh, a, you know, a therapy technique in radiation therapy, um, so cancer treatment, where um, the patient receives fewer visits, um, but, you know, and actually it, it also costs less, but they receive, you know, like identical therapeutic benefits from it. So the literature is pretty um, compelling that it's at least as good, if not superior from an outcome perspective um, for those patients. And so we're just kind of like trying to push the curve a little bit to try to get providers to adopt, you know, those procedures, again, you know, that are are both saving money to the patient and the carrier. Um, But at the same time, you know, especially during COVID, they're in, you know, that hospital setting less than they would normally be. And they're also spending less money. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another one we're working on right now is towards uh, medical oncology biosimilars, which I think is kind of a, a hot topic in the industry in general. So, um, you know, there are a lot of very expensive medications that treat oncology um, that, you know, the patents have expired. And, uh, you know, there are other drug companies that have created essentially identical drugs um, to that named drug. So, for example, trastuzumab um, has now at least a couple different biosimilars. Um, and so we're trying to um, Again, it's the same idea, trying to kind of push the curve so that the adoption is happening in the background at sort of a slow rate. And Evacor is, you know, working with the individual carriers to try to get those providers to, you know, to accelerate the rate at which they adopt those um, biosimilars. Again, with the same idea of having, you know, identical outcomes in that case from a clinical perspective. Um, but lower financial toxicity for the patient and lower cost for the carriers. That's great. So as our uh, clinical reviewers use evidence-based guidelines, um, you all are also publishing evidence to support certain methodologies and procedures and number of visits for radiation therapy and so forth. That's uh, really incredible. So we've uh, referenced the low back pain um, research that you all have uh, conducted recently. And this ties back to our October podcast where we talked to some clinicians um, who were talking about how conservative care is so beneficial for um, back pain and musculoskeletal conditions as prevention and also treatment. Uh, but you all have taken it a little bit further and have looked at the um, impact of chiropractic and physical therapy um, treatments on low back pain. I'll do kind of like a comic book origin story for this paper. Um, and of course, James and, and Neha are the ones that are actually doing the real work. And so I'll let them get into the specific details of the work. The origin of this analysis came from our clinical partners. 
and it's an expansion and an elaboration of the existing medical peer review publications. Chronic back pain is highly prevalent in the United States. Um, 25% of the United uh, States citizens report having a low back pain complaint in the last three months. Um, additionally, the United States has higher rates of spinal surgery than other developed countries, but there's widespread belief that many of those um, procedures are inappropriate. Um, chronic back pain is a huge problem um, for the patients who suffer from it, and they can often become desperate, causing them to choose an expensive and extremely invasive solution, like spinal fusion, for example, that will give them some relief. But often patients don't experience relief, and sometimes the condition actually worsens. We believe patients who choose conservative therapy, like physical therapy or chiropractic, as a first step in dealing with their pain, um, end up with better outcomes and avoid unnecessary surgeries. And we initiated this study to determine if there was a way to methodologically tell that story. And that's supported in the literature too, um, the use yes, of conservative care. Um, so who wants to tell us about the methodology that you used for this research? Would that be James or Neha? Well, I think we, we both can cover it, but I'll take a, I'll take a first pass at it and Neha can correct me early and often where I stray. Uh, from a methodological standpoint, what we wanted to do is show the impact of advanced imaging and the likelihood of getting back surgery versus patients who have the more conservative care. As Naya referenced earlier, one of the advantages to being you know, a part of our organization is just the vast amount of data that we have, that it would be a grad student's dream to be able to work with the data that we have. And because of that, we're able to identify a large chunk of data that's perfect for us to build this model off of. You know, both Naya and I and Tim, obviously, we all believe that you know, predictive analytics, statistics, all of these advanced methodologies, we could answer any question that's out there, though we want to be appropriately use those tools that uh, we don't want to overburden a single model with trying to answer too many questions. So with all of this data that we have, we were able to look at patients who are perfect for the study. And these would be patients who have had no previous exposure to PT, OT, Cairo, any advanced imaging, they didn't have lower back pain previously. These are truly newly diagnosed back pain patients. So we don't have to worry about oh, having a prior history of physical therapy, and that might be influencing the results. We have a very clean group of patients that we can build these models off of. Uh, so we, obviously focusing on the effects of advanced imaging versus PT or OT in terms of getting a surgery, but we also wanted to control for patient demographics, uh, the comorbidities that a patient has, and what their specific diagnosis was for lower back pain. Our idea behind that is that if we control for demographics, comorbidities, the type of back pain that the patient's experiencing, when we control for those differences, all that's remaining is your likelihood of getting surgery if you use, if you use conservative care or if you use advanced imaging. So that was the genesis of our model. Uh, we uh, constructed those fields, uh, ran several different iterations of the model, trying to correct for any sort of statistical errors that could come up that uh, for those who have a background in statistics and econometrics, they know that you, you just can't throw 
everything in the kitchen sink in there and hope for the best that their <laughs> interaction, just like, just like a chemist, if you mix certain things together, you're, yeah. you're going to get incorrect results and could lead to either misdiagnosing or attributing wrong effects to your, your final product. So Nay and I worked very closely to make sure that we had a very clean study and a clean model. And uh, Naya, do you want to talk a little bit about some of the results that we found, uh, specifically in some of the fields, or especially around comorbidities, and then finally about our advanced imaging versus PT? Yeah. Um, so, like, we ran different regression models um, for different types of surgeries. So first overarching model was for any type of spine surgery. So what was the likelihood of getting um, a just all inclusive any spine surgery if a patient patient's first therapy after the lower back pain diagnosis was AI versus or advanced imaging or it was conservative therapy. So patients who had uh, advanced imaging as their first therapy after their diagnosis, they were 3.7 times more likely to have spine surgery. Uh, and this could have been avoided with uh, PTOT Cairo, looking at just how vastly likely a patient is if he gets the advanced imaging. Patient also had um, like significantly more uh, post one year healthcare cost compared to patients who had PTOT or Cairo. So um, on an average, the cost for patients with AI was $8,000, which was almost double to patient if he be began his therapy with uh, physical therapy or any type of conservative therapy. Yeah, that's interesting. And then I'm looking at, um, I think this, um, this is a white paper that you all um, wrote, and I don't know if this is the latest one, but um, um, you cite a JAMA study that found that back and neck pain account for $86 billion in healthcare spending each year. So that advanced imaging portion of this uh, probably contributes to that um, quite a bit. So James, can you tell us a little bit um, about where you get your data and how do you know that the, um, the, the folks have not had any prior um, issues with low back pain? That, that, that's a great question. One of the advantages of all of the data that we collect at Evacor, we have a separate data set of about 20 million patients that have complete medical and pharmacy claims for several years. And this group is specifically flagged as you know, patients from all over the country that aren't necessarily Evacor uh, managed patients. So there's a less likelihood that these patients are directly managed by Evacor and have any sort of Evacor effect on their particular healthcare utilization. We, this is a perfect population for, for doing studies to try to give us the best unbiased view possible. Now, of course, there's always going to be a bit of a trade-off you know, when you're conducting a study and determining what your study population is going to look like. For this, we wanted to have them not have any back pain uh, diagnoses or complaints or utilization of PT, advanced imaging, any of that six months prior to our study period. Now, that means two years ago, they may have had a low back pain complaint, and that might have led to a different course of care than a, a, a naive uh, back pain naive patient would have been. 
it's just one of the juggling acts we have to do as researchers that we have to draw the line somewhere. And if we look for the perfect patient, we might find the perfect patient, but we might not be able to extrapolate those results outward. So it's a bit of a juggling act between maintaining a large enough sample to actually perform the research versus finding that perfect four-leaf clover unicorn patient that is you know, the researcher's dream <laughs> yeah. to find that patient and then to clone them 10,000 yeah. times and run a you know double-blind study. Yeah, it's every just, study has its limitations, right? It's just, what are you willing to accept? Um, you know. So Neha, um, so we know that, so now your data show that um, physical therapy and chiropractic care um, helps um, prevent uh, subsequent, subsequent spine surgeries compared to the advanced imaging um, folks. Um, did you look at um, dose amount or dose response or um, how frequency of chiropractic care or physical therapy, a number of visits um, and how it related to um, the outcome or was it just chiropractic care and physical therapy um, and that's it? Or did you look at number of visits? So right now we just in the model included uh, just the binary like one zero if a patient had physical okay. therapy first or a chiropractic visit or an advanced imaging. Um, we also avoided including uh, the number of visits part, although it's a easier variable to include so that the like it, do, it doesn't dilute the effect of having a chiropractor or not because in the regression model the coefficient is going to be divided in the number of visits and the um, just the binary variable as well so right and so um so with any research um it's nice to have a take-home message so What's the um, what's the impact or the next steps um, after this um, this research? What what does this mean for Evacor? This is a really good study, you know, that fits in well with Evacor's you know sort of um, primary programs. So you know, one of the things that we manage is advanced imaging, and so what we've learned from this analysis is that on you know that avoiding advanced imaging as a first stop in your care results in much lower likelihood of spine surgery, right? I, I think it was something on the order of 3.5 times less likely to have spine surgery if you start with physical therapy um, rather than advanced imaging. So it kind of underpins the program that we have in advanced imaging, you know, to avoid unnecessary scans. Um, and then again, from the MSK perspective, it really, you know, emphasizes that, um, you know, the, the conservative care. So, you know, mm -hmm. physical therapy or chiropractic are much more cost effective as a way to, you know, to initially treat the patient. And you're also avoiding spine surgery, which is another MSK program. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of, you know, the kind of constellation of Evacor programs, a lot of them are touched um, in this analysis. Yeah. And it makes me wonder at what point does a patient decide to get advanced imaging as opposed to seeking conservative care? Um, and I guess there's probably, um, it just it goes back to the first person that they see, once they have the back pain, are they going to a doc who um, is more 
um, you know, go straight to advanced imaging for everything or, you know, who do they seek out um, initially? I think that's right. And I believe the majority of the times that we do deny unnecessary imaging, it's because they haven't taken conservative, you know, therapy or that they haven't had the complaint long enough, right? Because a lot of mm -hmm. those issues will resolve themselves. You know, it's not uncommon for someone to find, you know, something in a scan, you know, an MRI of the spine that isn't necessarily tied to the patient's complaint, right? right? I mean, we are on earth where gravity is in place, you know, and there are, you know, like constant changes to our musculoskeletal systems, right? And so, you know, because you find something in a scan, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the source of your discomfort or pain. Um, and therefore, you know, like invasively trying to correct that, you know, may or may not result in, you know, better outcomes for the patient. Mm -hmm. So I know you did some initial research two to three years ago um, that uh, explored the impact of conservative care on um, spine surgeries. And that research led Evacor to create a program designed to educate uh, providers and consumers about the need for conservative care um, for low back pain. Would someone like to give us a little more information about that? Yeah, so I think with the you know, the original paper or the original research, it was a little bit at a higher level to see, you know, was our hypothesis, our initial hypothesis correct, mm -hmm. that there was a stark difference between advanced imaging and PTOT, more conservative care. And we shared those results you know, with the MSK team and they they ran with those results, you know, the spine core path and other programs that are in place to that are built upon the research that we've done in-house. And then with this current paper, we wanted to refresh the analysis, you know, have a more robust uh, study sample of patients, update the methodology a little bit with, you know, just as with any science that's out there, methodologies get better over time. You know, there's more nuanced, uh, advanced methods that you can apply. So we wanted to see, you know, not only did the results hold, but could we get a, a refined approach to it? And sure enough, with a better population, advances in statistical modeling, we find that that effect is not only still there, but very pronounced, uh, and especially right. in a clean population, which you know, further it further supports the foundation of spine core path and a lot of what the MSK team is doing today. And so I know uh, the first paper, James, that you described, um, the MSK team took that information, um, they went to the drawing board, they came up with a program called Spine Core Path. And the purpose of that is and when a member is um, has a diagnosis of low back pain, then Evacor will reach out to the member um, to discuss the, the merits of conservative care as opposed to uh, more um, advanced treatments uh, such as advanced imaging um, and ultimately surgery. Your latest paper does not actually evaluate the impact of that because it's not, because your universe of patients is, these aren't necessarily folks who were part, who have been part of core path. So um, really the second paper is a focus on refining the statistics and the methodology um, used to evaluate um, the impact of chiro physical therapy versus advanced imaging. Exactly, just to reinforce with, with newer statistical modeling techniques, advances that have been made there along with 
a better pool of patients to, to find the study to make sure that the foundation of spine core path is still solid even after all of these years. And as a follow-up analysis, uh, certainly can look into the efficacy of spine core path. It's definitely within our wheelhouse to do. And I think we wanted to make sure we, we got this paper done first to make the establish the foundation with the new patient pool, with the new methodology, and then build upon that yeah. uh, looking into future projects as well. You know, um, what's interesting is um, what the members' um, attitudes and perceptions are related to chiro and physical therapy as opposed to advanced imaging. I, I imagine folks think, well, gosh, advanced imaging, I can find the problem earlier and just get it and just fix the pain. Whereas um, chiropractic care and physical therapy, you have to take time off of work. Um, you may not have enough PTO. You may not be able to, you know, if you take time off of work, you don't get paid. So I would imagine that there's some, um, um, some of those attitudes underlying um, whether or not folks would accept conservative care over advanced imaging, even though the advanced imaging isn't really going to help ultimately. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a perception that medicine is, you know, maybe more advanced than it is, right? And so, like, you know, we're not cars, you know, so, like, you can't necessarily specifically identify, you know, like, the individual part that's gone bad and replace it. I think, too, you know, and I think this is important, you know, like, our bodies are designed to heal themselves for the most part, right? And so giving your body a chance to actually recover from whatever insult or injury that they experience to initiate the low back complaint, that is the best choice, right? Because I think, you know, the more invasive things that you do to try to resolve those complaints, the more risk you create for, you know, like it's sort of, you know, like you, you know, you create a problem that you're trying to solve basically, you know, so yeah. like, you know, that spine surgery, you know, like it's, it is very invasive. And there are often, you know, significant consequences associated with the procedures. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point, Tim, because I think, you know, what we see a lot, and especially in the literature, you know, the placebo effect is very real. And the more invasive the treatment, the stronger the patient believes that that's going to improve whatever is ailing them. And I think, hopefully, with this paper and what Spine Core Path is doing is that it's providing an opportunity for education that... Sure, like Emily, to your point, you know, advanced imaging, you know, it's going to catch it right away. I don't have to take time off of work to do PT or OT. But if that advanced imaging is going to lead you more likely to surgery, the recovery time of that surgery, that's going to be an awful lot of time that you have to take off. And I think it shows in you know, the results that Naya expounded upon the cost in that post that post surgical period. While that's not a perfect one for one match on patient well being. You know, every one of those dollars is a pain point of not only just a financial burden, but also just the recovery time that you have to go through after a surgery like that versus trying more conservative care of PT and OT up front and only in severe cases or warranted cases right. do you need to go on for surgery. But you know, with the literature out there and what we're seeing, you know, some of those cases maybe just aren't warranted for surgery and yeah. helping the patient in the long run and educating them that we are trying to help them in the long run right. is the key. Yeah, and for the non-clinical folks who are listening, most low back pain will resolve in four to six weeks. So um, often it's just a matter of just 
you know, waiting and giving yourself a break um, and then the pain will subside. So your, um, your findings from this, from both white papers, from both uh, the first and second um, research um, efforts um, are supported in the literature we talk, as we talked about um, previously. There's a 2018 study by um, Frogner and colleagues um, where they looked at differences in opioid prescriptions, healthcare utilization and costs among patients with low back pain and um, the, um, with and also those uh, folks who saw uh, a physical therapist at first point of care. They also, they used a commercial health insurance um, claims data from 2009 to 2013. And their results um, found that, uh, they found that a low back, pay, low back pain patients when they saw a physical therapist first, there was lower utilization of high cost medical services as well as lower opioid use. So have you all looked at um, opioid use um, in, in any of your low back pain um, research or is that something that you're considering? It's something we're definitely considering. We, we specifically didn't look at it within this particular study. Just, again, our general, mentality is that we, we think modeling statistics uh, can answer a lot of questions, but you don't want to ask a single model to do too much. You know, mm -hmm. you know, as Naya mentioned, you know, we didn't look at the specific number of PT and OT sessions because that would dilute your right, yep. effect. So I, I would see that as a separate model that mm -hmm. we know that advanced imaging is going to lead to more spine surgeries than you know, a follow-up model could look at well, is there a critical mass of, you know, PTOT that would hit that point? And then the same thing with opioids, that if we wanted to specifically look at opioid utilization as part of, as, as the model outcome, we would build a separate model for that, maybe even included in an entirely new study. Uh, so the short answer is no, we did not look at it within the confines of this particular study, yeah. but it is something we're definitely interested in and it's something worth investigating. Uh, you know, the opioid, heavy opioid utilization hasn't gone away just because everyone has focused on COVID for the past two right. years. It's still definitely yeah. there. It's actually because gotten worse over yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Just because it's not covered on the nightly news doesn't mean it's, it's, it's yeah. gone. It's still very much there and something very, very much worth pursuing uh, from a research perspective and then yeah. from an opportunity to try to curtail where we can. So what's on the horizon for your team? Looking at additional questions that you, that we've learned through the paper, whether it's looking at opioid utilization, whether it's the impact of how many PTOT visits it takes to get to a critical mass of making an impact, our partnership with Evernorth and the data that's there, uh, joining of medical pharmacy benefits and data together really just adds a whole new layer of potential study uh, study options and outcomes for our research that just wasn't there you know three to four years ago when the original white paper was in its conception yeah. you know working with ESI Evernorth Sigma now we have even more access to data especially on the pharmacy side which is just you know adding an incredible wealth of information that we can answer even more questions and create a lot of dialogue around new opportunities, programs, and ways that we can help our patients. Can I just, I'm just going to start submitting research questions to you all. <laughs> I do. 
Please, please do. We, we, we love, we love Not just because I'm on camera, but do, because I, I think like, you know, like it doesn't take that long, especially, you know, when we have the data, you know, tagged out for us to be able to at least do preliminary analyses. And I always kind of feel like it's a funnel, you know, and so the more sort of questions that we can vet, you know, mm -hmm. in a sort of rapid time frame, you know, the more that we can kind of narrow down on the things that are going to generate value. And just to kind mm -hmm. of underpin, you know, something that James, you know, talked about earlier, I think looking at opioid use as a natural progression for what we've done for the low back pain study, you know, we've done analyses looking at the impact on um, morphine equivalent dose. So in other words, just kind of normalizing all of that opioid, um, you know, utilization across the spectrum of drugs to, you know, to get a summary statistic. Um, we did an analysis that looked at um, spinal cord stimulators, which, you know, again, is a very invasive procedure um, mm -hmm. that, you know, like, you know, you essentially, you know, implant an electro stim into a patient's spine in order to attempt to short circuit, you know, the pain receptors in the, you know, between the back pain and the, and the brain. Mm -hmm. um, and we found there is, you know, a very modest effect on opioid utilization after that, um, you know, that procedure was done as well. Um, and so, like, we have kind of an infrastructure built to start answering those kinds of questions in the low back pain analysis as well. Well, this has been wonderful. I have, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I love research. I love talking about it. And uh, I'm so excited to hear um, what's on the horizon and everything that you all are working on. And you all are really just this um, feather in Evacor's cap. Your team is so well-powered and um, great minds. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you, Thank Emily. You. We appreciate the opportunity to nerd out on some stuff. <laughs> right? <laughs> and that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us. I'll see you next year for our next episode of Off the Cuff. Awesome. Thanks again. Thanks, guys. Appreciate Thanks, everybody. It. Remember, remember we're really available amazing. for all of your research needs, and we yes. do weddings and bar mitzvahs, too. <laughs> <laughs>